So there's going to be a lot of Kodak moments, a lot of tech that we look at now and think that could never possibly impact education. It will. It absolutely will. Um, so smart teachers will look at ways they can embrace it to be better. You're listening to the NZPE TeacherCast, a podcast sharing some of the inspirational stories from amazing health and physical education teachers. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform by New Zealand PE teachers for New Zealand PE teachers and their students. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Kia ora everyone, today I'm extremely lucky to be hosting Jared Robinson, also known as the PE Geek, a teacher who's really changed the PE landscape, someone who's played a big part in advocating for the use of technology in PE and led the way in creating innovative approaches for teachers to use technology with their classes. So Jared, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. First of all, tell us um, tell us a little bit about where you're from, your, your teaching background and a little bit of your experience. Well, I'm from the great state of Victoria in Australia, so near Melbourne, the capital city, probably about a 90-minute drive from there, and uh, I've taught in a class for the last sort of eight, eight, nine years, and a small country school of around about 200 students, or a little bit less, and um, the great part about that school was it gave me a really big license to be able to innovate. You know, we weren't so... Uh, dictated. We had a lot of autonomy because, you know, there wasn't many staff. So you get given many hats when you're in roles like that. So that's the only school I've ever operated in. And it's very much the catalyst for what led me down the path of uh, the peer geek journey and writing blogs and stuff because, you know, I, I had the opportunity to innovate and it was a real testament to the school and the sort of um, trust they put in us. So it's a middle school or... Junior secondary? What, it's what funny. Sort of... Well, it, it's a secondary school in that when I first started teaching, it was from year seven, you know, 13 years of age up to, to year 12. And uh, because of the fact that it's a small school, eventually the school merged with the primary school. So we went from, you know, only dealing with the 13 and above age group to then all of a sudden combining two schools together, getting a brand new campus, state of the art facilities like open learning spaces, uh, lots of technology. And um, having to deal with kids from, you know, four or five years of age. So that didn't limit me. You know, we ended up having to teach phys ed as specialist PE teachers down in that younger level. And um, it was great for what I do online because I, I now, and working with teachers, I now get to sort of understand both sides. But it wasn't without challenge. You know, if you go from teaching 13-year-olds and all of a sudden you've got five-year-olds, there's a massive difference in assumptions I had about um, that part of the school were changed a lot by being involved in a school of that much breadth. Yeah, it must have been um, quite powerful for, I guess for these, two weeks ago we spoke to Celia and she mentioned some issues around, I don't know whether it's the same issues in Australia, but in New Zealand we have, um, we have some teachers in primary who might not be as, as prepared or um, 
not prepared, I guess, might not have the knowledge to deliver really good physical education. So you were, in a sense, a PE specialist, and all of a sudden having a teacher with these um, these younger students, it must have been really good for them. It must have been some really good learning, rich, authentic physical education for them. So it must have been pretty cool being able to do that. It was, yeah. And that was a, a big comment from the primary parents, you know, who, who'd grown up mostly with their just classroom teacher running phys ed. So, you know, we got to step in and, and take over that load. But um, it wasn't without issues as well. So there's a massive culture change that happened between the schools. You know, you had primary staff and their culture and the secondary staff and their culture. And uh, it's still being battled with now. And um, it's, I don't think it's going to be something that's instantly fixed or maybe it will never be fixed. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that was gained and there's also some stuff that was lost. Mm. So how did you get started in this whole technology and PE scene? What was your pathway or your transition into the PE geek? So kind of like what's yeah. your story? Yeah, so in 2008 when I first started teaching, we had to um, be sort of collecting evidence of things that we were doing in our class on our way to being full registered teachers. So when you first start in, in Australia, you become, in Victoria at least, you become a provisionally registered teacher and then you have to show evidence and become full registered. So I started a blog purely to capture evidence of things I was doing in my class and for that purpose. So I could show my principal and I could get marked to full registration. But um, all along the line, you know, it was a heavy focus on tech because I loved it. I was always interested in it as a kid and then I did my second teaching method as technology. And um, then all of a sudden, you know, I realized that this blog thing, people were actually turning up to and leaving comments. And they weren't from, you know, my school. They were from Victoria, they were from Australia, they are from all over the world. And uh, I got addicted to being able to share stuff to people. Even though in the early days it wasn't, you know, all that innovative. Uh, maybe it was, but we, we were just quite limited with what we could do. You know, why, why, do you, why, do you think, why do you think people arrived at your blog and, and, and kind of started reading it and following it? What, what do you think the catalyst there was? Well, it was definitely Twitter. So around the same time, I signed up for Twitter, so it was early 2008. Uh, if I logged on, you know, to Twitter at that stage, I wasn't really communicating with phys ed teachers at all. Uh, it was mostly with people who were doing e-learning type roles in schools, and um, I guess they were turning up at the site. They were seeing applications of things I did in phys ed, and a lot of the conversations and friends I made in those early years were with people who were in those sort of roles, uh, and that trickled down. I guess they shared, you know, the site with their phys ed teachers and. Eventually, when mobile devices became more prevalent, that's around about 2010 and 11, that's when the site became this um, you know, much more uh, dominant resource in, in the phys ed space and, uh, and it was probably just right time, right place. You know, I'd already had two or three years of writing at that stage, just nothing but sharing resources and then the right device came along that matched with phys ed. And um, yeah, it went from there. But the funny, the funny thing is, you know, around about two or two months in, I got a blog post comment, and this is what it said, exactly to the word. This is the truest and most brilliant thing I've ever read. <laughs> and I, re I read that, and I was like, whoa, someone, this is amazing. And you know how motivational these things can be. And only two or three years later did I realize that was a spam post. That was not authentic. That was legitimately a spam. So I, I think about that all the time and think, you know, if I hadn't have got that yeah. post, would I have continued doing it? Would that have led to me, you know, finding a real audience of people, and would that have led to where we are now? It's funny to think. Yeah, it is. I mean, you say right place, right time, and, and stuff like that. But um, I know you've read 
Outliers, and, and I've read it as well. And it's a fantastic book, but you know, there, I think there's a whole lot more that, that path of being innovative in PE. So I think you still would have got there. Yeah, cool. And from there, you you went on and started designing some apps. How so did I that did. pan out? Well, again, it was the early mobile phone craze. You know, I, I remember getting my first iPhone and just being amazed at the possibilities and. Um, I just I remember searching on the store for just forever trying to find things that were appropriate for my industry and my audience and writing about them and I realized there wasn't a lot you know there was a few things and at the stage there was the Runkeeper app which I was just blown away that you could do that and I got thinking about well that's cool but it would be nicer if it did X so I set about to build an app that did that and in particular the Cooper's test um, which is the 12 minute run fitness Mm -hmm. test quite common here in Oz and, and, and everywhere else in the world and I thought about how I could appetize that. I don't even know if that's a word but it is now. And Sounds um, good. <laughs> I wanted to build an app that would let you run for 12 minutes and then at the end of 12 minutes it would give you your distance and your fitness and it would be a much easier way to facilitate the test than setting up the cones and markers and having kids run around a track. So, so none of this, none of this. You didn't start out wanting to make money in apps. You oh, you wanted no them for your own teaching to make. But you found you wanted things to be able to operate well, in a way that was yeah. going to make life easier for you. The catalyst for this app was I had some kids who missed the day where we did it at school, where um, you know I had to laboriously set up for thirty minutes the act, the, you know the fitness test, and I thought yep. they've missed it. Now I've got to go and ready to do it at lunchtime and set it up again. And I thought wouldn't it be so easy? I'd been using Runkeeper at the time. Wouldn't it be easy just to have an app that did that, and I just say go and run in your own time, and then I'll have your results um, yeah. for the test. And you know that's what set about that journey. It was about solving a problem for me, and if I solved it for me, and I was my target audience, then it's probably going to be useful for other PE teachers as well. So I remember putting up the job on on a website where you can find talent to build stuff like this, and it costs five hundred to make it and I remember at that time thinking this is a lot of money and I don't really have much uh, I just I just did it and um, got the first um, app successful it wasn't great in terms of how it looked but it functioned and then just kept doing it easy looking at your um, looking at your website the pegeek.com you've got um, on your homepage there learn how to use game changing technologies in your PE classroom so that's kind of that's what you do now you uh, you host workshops and you do this around the world um, and they seem to be really popular yeah we love it so I mean obviously the online stuff is is where we have most of our um, audience you know we can't travel everywhere but there's nothing more satisfying than running a workshop in a place New Zealand's been a massive supporter of what we do um, we love getting over there at least once or twice a year and um, you know, walking away from a group of people that you've had a chance to do a workshop with, there's no better feeling. The follow-up stuff that happens after that, it's great to see people, you know, using stuff in their classes that has an impact, not just because I say it does or because, um, you know, it might be nice to do some tech because it's the hottest thing, but because the thing that they're looking to do is benefited by the technology and um, that becomes that becomes a motivator to do more. And yeah, we've been to 30, 32 or three countries so far and um, we just continue doing them because of the success that each one brings, and um, you know, I, it's a great chance to see the world as well. Yeah, yeah, I've been to I've been to two of yours now, and I think the one thing that stuck out for me was at the start of the one that was in New Plymouth. You know, you said we we're going to look at maybe twelve apps, but you encouraged us to really just um, 
pick one or two that are going to help us in the classroom have some immediate effect and not try to do everything all at once, but focus specifically on those two. And I think that's some really good guidance around or for teachers who are really just getting started with technology and PE. Just, just focus on one thing that is going to help you and allow you to um, be innovative in the classroom. So that was some really good advice that you gave. You also have Connected PE Community. Um, what, what, what is that? Well, we've, I mean, obviously the, the phys ed technology stuff and the PE Geek is, has been a real big um, driver for the, the travel and so on, but it, it really ignores many of the other aspects of the phys ed landscape. So it's all about technology and phys ed. And because we've grown this big audience globally, we still get a lot of emails of stuff that was, you know, how can I do assessment in this class or what can I do in this area or that area? And I would typically say it's not what we do with the PE Geek, but having seen all these questions, it just made sense to create a community that was much more diverse and then use the connections that I'd made online to bring in experts who could answer those questions because I only really see myself as you know quite knowledgeable in the tech space and other areas I have a you know basic understanding. So it was about providing a framework and the mechanism and the service, I think it's more of a service, around mm -hmm arranging content that um, is from other experts or other people in their, you know, professors and doctors and, and so on in the phys ed landscape. And uh, it's been good. We've deliberately slowed down social media. I mean, I think social media has this um, tendency to be too, too fast for many of the people that we serve. And um, the Connected PE community is about slowing it down, making the essential stuff available for people on demand. It's sort of like a buffet of professional yep. development. They come, they get what they need when they need it, and they don't have to come back, you know, for you know a month or so. But when they come back, there's something there for them, um, for you know, for to professionally grow. Mm. There's definitely some good content in there that I've seen, and um, the online conference that you ran this year was it just generated a ton of really good content from um, great experts in our learning area. So um, there's there's heaps to take in there if you if you haven't looked at it yet or haven't visited go check it out it's definitely worth a look keep on this theme of um you know supporting and helping teachers you launched or you ran a conference this year which was that's a pretty epic task running it uh, alone and not even in your own country so how did, how did that pan out for you how, what was the deal with that yeah, well, obviously our workshops have been successful, but they're, you know, they're 30, 40 people in a room, max. Um, one person, one facilitator, one topic. But you know, we, we wanted to do something bigger than that because we realized that you know, there's more impact in there if you can get more people and if you can focus on more topics. And uh, we decided that we'd launch the Connected PE conference in Dubai. And we picked Dubai for a reason because it's really accessible to the world and there's no major phys ed conference already happening there. Um, so we set out this time last year to lock all the pieces together and it took a whole year to, you know, to get it going and um, we stopped at no, um, no sort of, you know, we didn't really put any limits on who we'd invite. We invited the people that we thought could bring the most value to the conference from all corners of the globe as our expert masterclass leaders. And uh, we, it was a conference, but we, we put heavy emphasis on this workshop model of delivery where people go into extended sessions to get a bit more into the um, activities that they're doing. Rather than just, you know, conferences tend to be... Conferences tend to be more about, you know, 
grabbing something quickly and moving on to the next session. And sometimes it's all hype, but no real cut through. So we wanted to um, really focus in on depth in it, but maybe attend less sessions. So it was really successful. Um, you know, we're, we're currently just about to confirm our date for our 2017 one and, and bring the same model also to, to places like Kenya and Singapore and um, hopefully, you know, in two years' time or so, we've got the Connected PE conference running in all continents. Mm, mm, that'd be awesome. I love how you can, um, now that you have this Connected PE community, you can pair the two together and, um, you know, the, the professional learning doesn't, end at the end of the conference like we see I think you, you touched on a little bit that you get all pumped up and then you leave the conference and then it's like what next but you have this um, ongoing yeah, support that was a real focus of us so it had all the pre-webinars so even if you weren't attending the conference you still got the benefit of the eight or nine pre-webinars that happened for the conference and then we recorded mm. as many sessions as we could at the conference um, so that even if you were in Alaska and you were part of the conference of uh, the community you could still watch it uh, and the eventual goal, the ultimate goal of the Connected PE community is to make all of our face-to-face -face stuff zero cost. We don't want to charge for those. Um, yep. But the community would be, you know, the one-time annual subscription or whatever we choose to do. And then that gives you access to attend whatever face-to-face -face events you can do. And if it's running in every continent, then, you know, you can attend it probably pretty easily. Yeah. What, uh, what was your best takeaway from that? In terms of a presenter who really made you go, wow, that's... Um that's something really cool. I think Dr. Dean Dudley, um, someone who I've followed online on Twitter for a long time, he's a, like an academic and a researcher in, in, in Sydney, and, and he presented a framework for physical literacy that was just absolutely um, really easy for people to grasp. You know, we hear this word physical literacy a lot, but, you know, what does it really mean? What, what are we trying to achieve? What are, the, what are the things that make it up? He presented this core framework that... Um, is backed by research that is absolutely easy to attach to in terms of your school focus and your school vision. And he also likened physical literacy and the pursuit of it to early 1800s, the actual challenge to get everyone to be able to read and write. And yeah. um, that was successful. You know, most of the world can. There's still a percentage that can't. But he looked at what they did to make that possible and um, sort of related that to what we could do as physical educators and people trying to get people active and you know so on for life and there's a lot of lessons there's a lot a lot of commonalities uh, and he's saying that most of the physical literacy literature doesn't even look at the, the successes of literate literacy um, as you know a bit of a catalyst for what they could do so he wants everyone to be mindful of where we've been yeah, that makes sense. You know, you've got that term literacy there. You'd think there, someone had thought to kind of look at those relationships no, and how really the approaches. And there's so many parallels between what we did yeah. to get the world literate and what we could do to get the world physically literate. Um, mm. And it's amazing when you start to think of it like that. Is his um, presentation up in the community? Yeah, it is. It's inside the community and it's definitely been one that's generated quite a bit of discussion and um, you know, it, rightly so, because it's a hot topic. Cool, cool. Looking forward to um, hearing more info about your, your dates for next year. And I know that one Kiwi attended this year, like he didn't come from New Zealand, he's at an international school, but it would be, um, be cool to get some more Kiwis heading out to attend. You're, um, gee, we're at like 21 minutes already. Um, you, the reason I had this podcast was you're developing a new app. 
and you pre-sold the set, but I think it's it's launched now. From what I've seen, it appears to be super innovative and something that I think um, probably quite a few New Zealanders or New Zealand schools would be interested in. That's Monsuda Fitness. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, there's a couple of schools in New Zealand already using it, which is good. Um, but we sort of looked at early Pokemon Go craze and we just, you know, as it swept through the, the planet and people were all over it and there was obviously phys ed teachers looking at ways they could grab it and repurpose it and jam it into their curriculum. And I mean, while that's got some inherent good aspects to it, it's, you know, it, it's a little bit wrong to just try and pick up everything that's hot and active and throw it into our curriculum without much thought. So, you know, we thought, well, what are the best attributes of the Pokemon Go that are getting people, everyone crazy, you know, everyone thinking about it and it's like the hunting and adventure and it's the gamification leveling up aspects and it's the social aspects around it uh, and we thought well they're they're transferable into other situations they're not just related to this game and they're not just unique to this game in fact it's it's they're not new to this game at all pokemon go so we grabbed those core elements and we tried to build a game around um, something that's a little bit more phys ed centric. So in this particular example, we wanted to build a fitness experience. So rather than capturing a Pokemon uh, so you can progress it and battle other Pokemon, we wanted to put the person who was doing the hunting into an exercise experience. Uh, and that was our goal. Same sort of idea. You, you find them, you hunt them, you then get presented with an activity and you have to complete that activity and you then progress through the game. But the real difference is that um, the schools have decision on where they place them. So you as a school head, whatever, head of PE can use your school as a canvas and place these different activity monsters through the school and then go and battle them and um, kids progress. So that's been the real yeah, difference, I guess, the complete control over the experience which people have enjoyed. Mm. I like that idea. I, I listened to a, um, a presentation yesterday at one of the Wally PE workshops and a teacher spoke about um, place responsive education and how we're really quick to leave our local community and seek experiences um, away from our school, which um, means the students don't necessarily have as much buy-in or it doesn't have as much meaning to them. And I think Monsuda Fitness has... Um, the potential for students to be able to explore their area more. I, I know these students are within the school every day and they know the place really well, but being able to just, for a teacher to place it somewhere that you know maybe is an area that's not accessible a lot or the students don't go there, but just making them more familiar and more appreciative of their environment and their learning environment, I think that's really cool that the school or the teacher, the HOD, can place these things where they want. Yeah, and it's a real, real big scan, focus. Um, so. Uh, we have these custom monsters too, which aren't tied to a prescribed activity that we've set. So you could very much, you know, create a path around the local area, and in it you could have questions that revise students about topics, or you could um, create sort of a historical journey through an important part of your community. Um, mm. So that it's it's not just limited to the exercise world and the warm up sort of activity. Mm. It's it could be a real learning path, and that's been um, it's been exciting to see what people are creating with that in mind, um, as more tied to other subject areas. Yeah, that's um, that's fantastic. Hey, I, I do a little bit of geocaching, and and there's a lot of those. You can do some um, 
memorable walks or um, landmark walks where you go from one to the next landmark and um, find caches in there. So that's um, very similar, and I think that's important that we acknowledge other learning areas. And um, because I think I think PU's I think we're one of the most innovative learning areas. Um, I, I don't know why because for Zeta's tend not to be too techy. Um, but for some reason, we just embrace technology, and we do that really well. But I think other learning areas, um, more learning areas should get on board, but it seems to be a pretty slow uptake from, from what I can see, my personal experience anyway. So that, that approach to allow things like you mentioned, being able to uh, explore other areas is, um, has, has a lot of potential. So aside from Monsuda Fitness, which, which um, sounds awesome, looks awesome from what I've seen. Can you tell us about any emerging technologies that you're aware of that kind of has the potential to be a real game changer for PE? I know this morning a few of us were on um, Twitter having a few um, tweets about virtual reality. Is that something that's going to be big or is there some other thing that you know of that we might know of? Yeah, I did a um, podcast episode about this recently um, You know, in, in my series. A bit of a rant and I spoke about um, quite a few emerging technologies that will disrupt education whether you want to or not but um, we have the opportunity to embrace them and sort of deliver learning opportunities that match up with good you know craft experiences or we can or we can not so I'd rather embrace them and a couple of those um, tech that we should be on the lookout for are things like virtual reality and it was easy to dismiss it when it was polygon type experience you know you where you didn't really feel like you were immersed but eventually within the next two or three, four years, the, the virtual reality experience you get through the lens will be at the same frame rate as our eyes can detect. So you'll actually have no difference in being able to tell if this thing is real or not. Now, that might sound scary, but it presents major opportunities for learning. You know, if you can be transported through a virtual experience, you're sitting in um, you know, Auckland and all of a sudden you're in Paris and you're walking through the Louvre and you, it's like you're really there. Um, you know, you, we can start to craft a completely different learning experience. And the same is true for phys ed. You know, if you can use VR to craft, um, you know, an experience that feels authentic, that, you know, is maybe you are in a game and it's a game-like scenario and you're making decisions, you're being assessed on those decisions. I mean, this is all going to be possible. And then when you tie that with other disruptive technologies like sensors, I think we're going to reach a stage where we get to um, there being over a hundred billion different sensors, as in you know, like cameras are a sensor, uh, accelerometers are sensors. They're going to be in everything, including our wearable shirts, um, and that presents opportunities. So that you know, the shirt that a kid are wearing in a sport class or in your um, PE class, that's just a normal shirt, could have um, heart rate technology in it without being able to wear anything. It's just present. Uh, and, and the very same token, it could give you feedback data on technique or all sorts of things. And it sounds far-fetched, but it's reality. Uh, and it's quite yeah. predictable now because of um, you know how fast things progress and the exponential growth pattern that we're on. It's exciting. It's also a little bit scary, but um, I'm just here to say that people should embrace it. It's not going to replace <laughs> you. It's going to enhance you. No, no. I think that's. I hadn't really thought about. Um, you just mentioned there about its role in, in technique development and stuff like that. So, like, uh, you know, having a, a skin skins pants and and top and performing a movement, and then I'm pretty yeah. sure, you know, in, in no time you'll be able to get feedback on, you know, how far off you are off the 
most efficient technique or movement. That, that's, yeah. that doesn't sound too far-fetched to me. And that's Not at just, all. Um, and quite personalised too. I mean, we're, we're really subjective yep. with a lot of the stuff that we do related to that. This wouldn't be. It would be objective and it would be personal and it would be all the things that we talk about as being good practice. But, you know, we'll have a tool to augment that. And I had a, a podcast interview recently about 3D printing, which I think was a tremendous example of, you know, the 10, 20 years away from here where, this whole idea of ordering sports equipment and having it delivered to you and the sports equipment is not really custom, it's sort of you know designed for a general market, yep. could be quite obsolete in that you could print on demand the equipment that match with the, the learning stage of your student um, you know, that was relevant to the weight that they could use and we could craft these experiences much more deeply than what we do now. Mm. I think it's um, it's a really interesting time to be a teacher and seeing some of these technologies emerge. Um, I almost wish I was a teacher maybe in another – I'd started my career in another five to ten years where I, you know, I'm going to get the benefit of all of this technology as it's, um, as it's emerging. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what happens in that space and, and what comes from it and how – Teachers choose to embrace it. I mean, for the it. most part, a lot of the tech. I mean, people people can be skeptic. Like that's that's fine, um, and and the reason they can be skeptic is for the most part, all these tech have existed for a long time. You know, three D printers, nineteen eighty, they came out. Virtual reality, nineteen eighty, but they've been so you know so minimal power and so you know small opportunity that they've been mostly disregarded. Uh, they're yep. deceptive. They've been sitting in the background, slowly building in capacity, and we've just ignored them because they haven't really done much. Same with robotics. I mean, robotics, if you look at them, they're not very smart. But each year they get more powerful, they get more capable, and um, eventually you reach a point where they supersede You know, the, the fact that they could do stuff much better. And I love the Kodak story um, as just an example of how these things change. You know, yeah. Kodak was this enormous... Um, company in the in, in the early 1800s and in the, into the 1900s and they did obviously print film cameras and that was their thing and they had an in-house technician build what was become the first digital camera and they presented it to the board and they said you know we can do this and this can be our thing and we can own the rights and um, and it got dismissed and it was because at the time it took a 0.1 megapixel photo and why would you need that like when you have these beautiful prints that yeah. Um, you know, come out really crystal clear. But each year, that that tech kept getting better and better. You know, exponentially increased to a point where um, Kodak is now bankrupt. Um, so there's going to be a lot of Kodak moments, a lot of tech that we look at now and think that's could never possibly impact education. It will. It absolutely will. Um, so smart teachers will look at ways they can embrace it to be better. Yeah, yeah, and um, and and we need to. I was just I just uh, googled Kodak just then, um, <laughs> and they've just launched the camera phone, which is interesting. And the, the title is Kodiak, the the iconic camera company that famously failed to adapt to the world of digital and smartphone cameras. So they did. Yeah. They might be a little bit late to market, though. I think. Um, last last question. Um, you're you're a pretty big pretty big gamer, much like myself, just not as good. Um, what are you playing right now? Couldn't help myself if I didn't get the re <laughs> the, the new Call of Duty, uh, Infinite Warfare. Big big fan of the series. Uh, always sort of you know keep up to date with it and play it. And I just know that if I if I get sucked back into the um, the game, you know, the multiplayer thing, I might lose some hours in my day. But 
it's just sort of testament to how well crafted these game experiences are. I mean, it's easy to dismiss them if you don't play them, but well, they're immersive. You know, they, they encapsulate so much of what we should hope to aspire in our classrooms. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, that's why I like them because they really do immerse you in whatever the, the game is about. And I think that's a lesson for us. Yeah. Yep. I'm a, I'm a big fan. And I, I actually want to, I remember being a lot younger and thinking, man, wouldn't it be cool to one day, I used to play a lot of the basketball games. Wouldn't it be cool to one day just be able to play someone from America, someone who has lived basketball their whole life, and um, mm. and it didn't take that long for that for that to become a reality. Um, but it, they are immersive, and I think teachers can learn a lot from video games. You know, I've got a gamification presentation that that I do, and and try to encourage um, teachers to be more accepting of games, um, and and they're coming around, and once they see some of those game mechanics and how they have applications in teaching, then um, they're more willing to to embrace those um look i I really want to thank you for for stopping by um you know i've gotten to know you over the last sort of four or five months and you've been a you've been a um, big support and help to what i've been trying to achieve with some of the things i'm doing on the side and i really appreciate that you've um you've you've changed um the way i look at a few things and, and you've been really helpful and you've also changed i think for z teaching for um a lot of people around the world and um I don't know too many people that have had a really big impact on on education, and, and I think you're one of them. And uh, we owe you a lot for um, for everything you've done. So um, keep it up, keep innovating. Um, and again, I really appreciate you stopping by to have a chat. I'll put some of those links around Monsuda Fitness and Connect to PE Community and all of that. I'll put that in the show notes. So listeners, make sure you um, you check some of that out. But Jared, thanks again for coming coming along. Absolute pleasure. Any chance to, to talk tech and games and anything, I'm just going to be all over it. So um, yeah, keep up the work that you're doing. I look forward to having you on my podcast soon. <laughs> all right, mate. Cheers. See ya.